This Motley Fool podcast is supported by Wonder Capital, an investing service that allows individuals to invest in solar projects across the U.S. Earn up to 11% annually while diversifying your portfolio, curbing pollution, and combating global climate change. Create an account for free at wondercapital.com forward slash fool. Wonder Capital, do well and do good. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. Today is Thursday, June 23rd, so we're talking about energy and industrials. I'm joined by Motley Fool Canada lead analyst Taylor Markerman, and we are both joined via Skype by Fool intern Lindsay Zedanyski, who is currently working out of our Denver, Colorado office. Hi, Lindsay. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, not too shabby. Yeah, uh, we're good here. Yeah, so uh, we've got a uh, born and bred Canadian on the line here, and we've got the head of one of the heads of Fool Canada. You guys have anything to? <laughs> um, not really. I Nothing. Mean, no. Okay. You were just in Toronto, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, we were there uh, last Tuesday through Friday. had a had a Fool Canada member event on Thursday night. Tremendous turnout. Um, Probably more members showed up than every single meetup we've had combined since 2012. Awesome. So, yeah. uh, Lindsay, how are you enjoying your internship? Good. It's going really well so far. What uh, what exactly did they have you doing out there? Uh, well, I'm working on analyzing the feeds and then making a website for it. Awesome. Very good. Thank you for your hard work. Yes, we appreciate that. Um, and uh, really quick before we dive into the questions that you have lined up for us, because it is intern question week on Industry Focus. What will we think of next on Industry what Focus? What will we, we keep... <laughs> <laughs> Does this make us really creative or really not creative? I don't know which it is. I haven't heard of an intern week on any other podcast. Yeah, a good point. All right. So. Um, Lindsay, what school do you go to? I go to Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute. Awesome. Cool. Do you want to give a shout out to anybody? Uh, shout out to my parents. Yeah, there awesome. we go. Yeah. Okay. There we Welcome go. Welcome to podcasts. Um, all right. So, Lindsay, we are ready. Feel free to hit us with uh, any, uh, your first question. Okay. Since oil prices have dropped and people and governments are no longer forced to pursue alternative solutions, how much can sustainable energy companies really be expected to expand in the next few years? And how is the lack of demand affecting their businesses? Um, so I have to tell you, when I first saw this question, I got this big smile across my face because I was like, man, not only do we have these really smart interns, but that is a really, really good question. Yeah, it's pretty loaded. Um, I'm not going to lie. So, Taylor, what comes to mind immediately? Um, well, what comes to mind immediately is that if if um, what we've been seeing in the oil markets since November of 2014 happened five or five seven years earlier, I think we could be in a situation where renewable energy companies um, begin to take a back seat again. Right. Um, they wouldn't but, have even gotten off the ground. Right. I mean, stop. Yeah, yeah. So you've seen just ridiculous growth um, over the last five years especially. Um, so I, I think that they've gotten to a point where there's just no turning back. Yeah. Um, still, though, you're looking at renewables only accounting for around 3% of total global energy consumption. So 97% of it is still available for disruption. Um, the U.S., uh, I think we have we saw two-thirds of all electricity generating capacity in 2015 was renewable, mm -hmm. um, and 30% of that was solar. Um, so you're, you're still seeing very broad adoption from a small base of renewable energy in terms of solar. Um, wind is still doing very well, uh, a bigger base than solar in the United States, but um, solar continues to dominate. You're looking at, uh, so 
for some perspective, we use 1,100 gigawatts of energy generating capacity in 2012. And last year, we only added 7.3 gigawatts. So very small fraction of what we actually use. But um, that was just solar. So we, yeah. we added 7.3 gigawatts of solar energy last year. Um, that's 16% more than we had in 2014. So we're seeing some big numbers being thrown around. But in the grand scheme of things, renewables is still relatively small. So to getting around to her question then, it doesn't seem like um, it is affecting the business right now. No. So you, you saw um, a bill be passed, or the big spending bill passed at the end of last year that basically extended the tax credits for solar. Um, yeah. Or maybe it was earlier this year. I can't remember the exact date. But So the tax credits for solar power um, purchasing on the residential side was supposed to expire um, in 2017. They pushed that out into perpetuity now. So basically, uh, a give and take on... Republicans wanted oil exports from the U.S., which hasn't happened in, in over 30 it's years. Oil embargo, yeah. yeah. Um, and Democrats are like, okay, we'll give you that, but we want to extend renewable energy tax credits. And, and so I think that there was this mad dash for people to install solar to beat that expiration. So you have seen maybe there, maybe the numbers are a little inflated over the last couple of years. Um, so people try to get in um, before that expired. But now that you now you see that pushed out. Um, it's going to be a continued growth pattern here for solar and wind in the U.S. and nuclear too, as well. Yeah. So, bottom line, it seems like they don't have an excuse, even though energy prices have come back so much, just because technologically they're competitive now, finally. Well, well yeah. So, and, and the big portion of what we're talking about here is electricity production, and the bulk of that is coming from coal and natural gas. So, it's not even really directly competing with oil. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, the EIA, um, which does a lot of forecasting, predicts that 75% or so of all energy production in 2040 will still be from fossil fuels. Got it. So that's saying that we're going from only 3% renewables to potentially 25% renewables between now and 2040, still only a quarter. But the EIA in 2012 was saying that fossil fuels would account for around 84%. So we've knocked off 9% of that in just a couple of years. And I, and I imagine yeah. that, that that prediction will continue to come down. Awesome. All right, Lindsay, what else you got for us? Okay, second question. Multiple states have already introduced legislation to limit or ban self-driving cars. Is the future of this industry legitimately in danger, or are these just preemptive moves that will likely relax over time? Oh, boy. That's a question for today's day and age, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It definitely seems like um, Silicon Valley is not waiting for cities and government to come up with the regulations. No, I'm doing it now. I feel like there are cars that could, I mean, a Tesla can get you on a major highway um, from from on-ramp to exit ramp without even touching the steering wheel for the most part if it's a heavily trafficked highway. Um, I just saw a company that came out the other day. It's a small startup, um, but basically this is pretty wild. Um, they're basically 3D printing Miniature buses that can hold about six to ten. Did you see people. the photo? They're really cute. Yeah, they are. It basically <laughs> looks like a giant tooth yeah. uh, on wheels, a giant molar on wheels. Have you seen what he's talking about, Lindsay? No, I have to look it up. Uh, we'll we'll have to send it to yeah, you. Yeah, or we can tweet it out from our industry-focused Twitter handle. Oh, but, um, nice way to plug that. Basically, yeah. um, they're 3D printing these little buses, and they're using IBM Watson as as basically the, the tool to communicate and, yeah. and operate between the humans. So you can basically just get on this bus and say take me to work and it'll know where you work and it'll know how to get there and it'll take you there and that it's already ready to drive on the roads 
Tesla's driving on the roads. They're, they had to actually internally they pulled back on their own automatic or their own automated driving because people were putting YouTube videos up of them Which flipping is, the switch and ju- climbing in the back seat and leaving the driver's seat completely empty. Liability. Yes. So <laughs> they realized that that humans. In, in general, aren't quite ready for this. Cars might be, but humans aren't. And then you look at um, this British startup that I came over, came across the other day called um, Immense Simulations, basically a video game company that is now uh, basically digitally recreating virtual worlds. They've mapped Manchester, England on a one-to-one digital replica complete with simulated activity for, 100, for its 100,000 residents. So that's what you're really going to have to see is cities and areas. Why did they recreate the Matrix in a suburb of London? <laughs> so basically, you want these cities to be 3D mapped so that cars know exactly, not just Got where it. the roads are headed, yeah. but where objects of, uh, of obstruction or buildings or parking garages, they need to know where everything exists, not just where the curbs do. Um, so 3D printing, uh, 3D imaging of the cities are probably what's going to be needed before yeah. cities and states completely release um, release the collar here. And you see in Nevada, they've already approved the use of, or the testing of um, autonomous semi-truck rigs. And there's oh there's a, been a fleet of them on the road over there. I can't recall the company that makes them, but, uh, but um, fully autonomous semi-trucks, they, they, they shut off if there's inclement weather. You have to take over if there's inclement weather or if it's nighttime. But if they're on the highway on a sunny or cloudy day, you could push a button and these these tractor trailer trucks will be driving around Nevada with no one touching the steering wheel. So bringing it around to her question then, it seems like uh, just competition between cities and continued technological advancements are going to win out and these eventually will get relaxed. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a competition. I think that these cities are just, they want to, for lack of a better term, pump the brakes on this. They don't want to inhibit the technological growth, but they don't want, they don't want cars out there driving by themselves without some semblance of, of direction and, and regulation. Got it. Cool. All right. So, Lindsay, you got one more for us? Yeah. With Luxembourg setting aside 300 million euros to develop asteroid mining, is it time to begin seriously considering the industry as a possibility in the next 10 or 20 years? Wow. I tell you, um, I don't know. I can't predict a time frame. But I can tell you that Jeff Bezos believes that one day all heavy industry will take place in space. He said that because the energy for uh, industry, can, it, it's way better with solar up in Yeah, because why, you don't right? have to fight with the atmosphere, the ozone right. uh, layer and any of that. So you're just harnessing pure power of the sun when you're in space. Um, the so, moon's going to be a giant factory. Yeah, so it really could be. Um, and then just people living in light industry on, on planet Earth. Um, but when you look at what they say is the composition of these asteroids in terms of rare earth minerals, it blows the U, the, the yeah. Earth's compilation out of the water. So you could be looking at so tr- some of these trillion ra- dollar asteroids floating right, around. Right, because they've got like platinum in them and stuff. Yeah, it's they like, have oh my everything. Gosh. Yeah. The, the, the difficulty here is obviously landing on an right. asteroid that's flying through space rather than a moon that's in pre- more predictable orbit. Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck will do it. They <laughs> yeah, did it they'll, figure it out. they'll figure it out. <laughs> Bruce Willis will be 80 landing on an asteroid in some movie somewhere down the line. Uh, so, Lindsay, I have a question for you. Would you be willing to go up into space to uh, lasso a uh, asteroid? <laughs> it would definitely be pretty fun. Yeah, I would have to <laughs> I imagine. One heck of a ride. <laughs> Well, uh, Lindsay, thank you for uh, calling in, and uh, we could not be happier with you and the re- rest of the interns. We got a great group this year, uh, and uh, have a great rest of your day. 
Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, listeners. Well, before we move on, I wanted to take a moment to talk briefly about our sponsor. This Motley Fool podcast is brought to you by Wonder Capital. Wonder Capital is a tech stars back company with headquarters in Boulder, Colorado. Wonder Capital allows investors to invest in solar projects across the country. And since the beginning of this year, Wonder has originated over $25 million worth of solar projects. Your investment goes directly to helping U.S. businesses install install solar PV photovoltaic panels. As they repay their loans to Wonder, you receive monthly cash flows in the form of interest payments. The best part is, Wonder doesn't take any fees for investing your money, and Wonder has two funds available. The Wonder Income Fund, which returns 6% a year during a 10-year period, and the Wonder Bridge Fund, which returns 11% a year during a 2-year period. Both funds are asset-backed, the asset being the solar panel. Learn how you can re- begin earning up to 11% returns at wondercapital.com fool. Wonder Capital. Do well and do good. So, Taylor, we're diving back in here with the latest news in energy. and uh, A little bit more boring than asteroid mining and driverless cars. She asked that question. I had the the picture of the guy in um, uh, Dr. Strangelove. He's riding the bomb down to the (laughs) ground, waving his cowboy hat and stuff. You can see that. Um, But uh, I guess... Title of this section is uh, they're back with the uh, land rigs. Yeah, it kind of reminded me gas. of like Independence Day, where he's like riding his. They're back. Sp- no, he's like I'm back. <laughs> and he's like looking up into this into the alien space. Yeah, ground. but um, yeah, rigs. They're coming back online. They are. Um, so third consecutive week of increases. The Eagleford uh, uh, geological region down in Texas added four rigs. Permian in West Texas added four. Um, national rig count stands for the United States at four hundred twenty-four. Increase sounds bad because like, oh, geez, this is going to cause another glut, but this is way below where we were. Yeah, you're looking, uh, I mean, basically 80%. Uh, October 2014, curiously, the month just before OPEC decided to... Go figure. Yeah, so you saw just over 1,600 rigs. I think they said 1,609 was the all-time peak, and um, we're in May of this year, we bottomed at the lowest number that uh, Baker Hughes has seen since they were tracking this since 1944. So yeah, over what 70 years now, and this is that was the lowest that yeah, we've ever seen the rig. Previous count. episode, I think we mentioned it was 52 was the last time that it got this low, or 1952 was yeah, the yeah. last time it got this low. I mean, geez. Yeah. Um. So what do you think? Like, I saw this quote by this energy executive, and he was like, "Yeah, this is the the beginning of the comeback and all this stuff." And I'm like. You're in the bottom of the Grand Canyon right now, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, when you talk about what was it, net nine rigs came online right. in a week. Um, there's a lot of ground to make up, but there's clearly too many rigs to begin with when you had over 1,600. So where is that middle ground? I, I'm not sure. Um, 900. If, yeah. Okay. You want to take bets? We <laughs> can gonna, we can take some bets what's, at the, what's next, the, the what's, next high water mark. What, what's the over under on uh, January 2018? <laughs> Of <laughs> uh, 900? Yeah. I'll take the under. You would? And what is it, in a year and a half? Yeah. Yeah. I'll You'll take, take the under. under. Okay. All right. Um, only because rigs are becoming more efficient. Um, That's a good point. They scrapped a lot of rigs in this downturn. So when you say so scrap, there's less rigs to even bring back. Everybody keeps talking about scrapping everything. Is it literally melting the metal down and using it for cars or something? I mean, is it gone, gone? They could be doing something like that. For the most part, though, they're just parting them out. And then because there's a lot of replacement on these rigs in terms of parts, um, and so you're you're seeing a lot of these rigs just totally 
broken down. Dismantled, and sending then, widgets to other yeah, rigs. Yeah, X okay. rig needs this. This rig's been sitting here. Let's just disassemble it and distribute the parts. So basically, they're just, these rigs are just, yeah, they're disappearing into thin air and being parted out. Got it. So uh, this actually kind of leads us into uh, the next segment, which natural gas has just surpassed coal as uh, the United States' major power source for uh, for electricity generation. Yeah, first and, time ever. Yeah, and that, of course, Lindsay kind of hinted at this sort of thing, too. Um, I I have to tell you, when when you sent this over, I was like, "That really? It took us this long? Yeah, it did. And we, we saw the lowest increase in carbon emissions since 92. 0.2%, yeah. Something like that, yeah, so yeah. pretty impressive. I, I guess there was uh, what, 2009 was technically the lowest since 92 but that the recession everyone everything kind of just shut down so the report i didn't see any mention of globally so am i to assume that globally coal is still kind of used a lot uh it is it did but it did drop 1.8 percent globally in in 2015 compared to uh, the 13 percent drop we saw here in the u.s so we're looking at china and india really driving coal coal demand um and and for there to be a big global needle move they're going to have to get on board, but China is, uh, from what they say, is all in on getting getting rid of coal use. Got it. Um, so, what kind of investor takeaways can we have? Like, are there definitely stocks that are going to benefit from this? Because obviously, we're making this pivot away from coal, which mm-hmm. we've been using for a hundred years, yeah. to natural gas. Are there utilities that are going to stand to benefit from this? Are there where? What can foolish investors do? Personally, um, I prefer the pipelines that distribute the natural gas. Um, if you've listened to an episode or two before, you probably heard me talk about Spectra Energy. Um, I'll go ahead and say I personally own it, and I don't talk about it because I own it. I talk about it because I believe in it. Um, very, very large footprint on the East Coast with some operations in Canada, um, predominantly natural gas. So you're kind of diversifying your way away from oil, uh, no coal exposure. And so that's probably my favorite pick if you want access to natural gas growth. They just got approved um, to build a pipeline between Texas and Mexico, uh, one of our largest natural gas and, and oil partners, trade partners. Um, so I, I definitely think that pipelines, natural gas heavy pipelines, will, will be the way to go if you want to play natural gas. You get a good dividend yield and you're, you lose some of the exposure that you get when you when you buy a producer. Utilities generally aren't my thing either, just because they're complex, a lot of government regulation, um, generally slow growth. Lord knows what's going to happen with solar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a, I mean, that's probably years away, but it's it's here, right? Like you can see it happening. Um, so I would stick with the pipelines personally. Got it. No, it's a, it does seem like a really good way to just have a, a act as a natural toll collector to natural gas usage. Yeah. So Spectre Energy continued to pay its dividend through the downturn. This this sh- the stock did sell off, but not nearly as much as as producers did. Um, natural gas producers didn't really drop as much as oil producers have because natural gas has been, you know, it's been in these low price environments since about 2012. Right. And and it's still chugging right along. Um, so. Pipelines are full. They're bursting. Um, Spectra Energy, not bursting literally, but you know. Yeah. We know what you mean. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Wrong industry to talk about bursting at the Yowza. seams. Um, yeah. That that's the way awesome. I would go. You want to look for companies that have 
projects planned in areas that are underserved, which Spectra does. New England is wildly underserved in terms of natural gas distribution, and they have probably over $20 billion in projects planned along the East Coast that will help alleviate that. Awesome. All right, Taylor. Well, thanks for your thoughts. Yes, sir. Have a good one. That is it for us, folks. If you're a loyal listener and have questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Just email us at industryfocus at fool.com. Once again, that is industryfocus at fool.com. And as always, people in this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against those stocks. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear in this program. For Taylor Markman, I am Sean O'Reilly. Thanks for listening and Fool on. Fool on.